Hey, uh, you, you have come for a great Sunday today. Yeah, you're going to hear from someone a little bit different uh, today who's a wonderful leader in our church, who's been leading our church for decades as a volunteer. And uh, he's a financial advisor, and um, he's going to speak about the, this uh, conversation related to money. And um, you might say, oh, I wish I didn't come to church today. Don't say that. You're going to be really glad, though, that you came because Ron Eckloff, who we're going to hear from in just a moment, I tell you, he gave this talk to our staff uh, maybe about three months ago, and I was so deeply moved by this talk, just thinking about my finances more from a Christ-centered perspective. And if you've been doing Rooted over these past months, you know that one of the spiritual rhythms, though, that we have to think about, and obviously we all know this, one of the spiritual rhythms comes to... Uh, how do we live well with our money? And how do we think about debt? And how do we think about saving and spending and giving and all of that? And Ron just has a really, really great way of talking about these things. He's a kingdom advisor, certified kingdom advisor. He's written a little book called Finances for Today, Tomorrow, and Eternity. And he's offering this book for the great price of zero dollars. It's available at the information table for the first 50 or so people who would like it today. And uh, I think it's a very, very beneficial resource for our church. So I'm going to invite Ron up to stage right now. Ron is married to his lovely wife, Kathy. Many of you know Ron and Kathy. They have four kids and nine grandkids. Would you please give a warm Carney E. Free welcome to Ron Eckloff. Ron, I think you can leave the hat. Well, you Maybe. know, I just, I knew it was so bright up here that I really wanted to do something different, but no, actually, I'm going to use this for a little sermon illustration, so yeah. I'll just, I'll set it aside here. The sooner you can, the better. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I thought it was very fashionable. Come on. Not really. <laughs> hey, let, let's pray together for my brother. Okay. Father, thank you for Ron. Thank you for Kathy. What a beautiful family they have. So grateful for this man, his leadership in our church across decades. And uh, thankful for this word that we're going to hear today. It's a significant one for me. I think it probably will be for hundreds of us today. And I ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts, you'd soften us to what your word says, and you would speak through our brother Ron this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adrian. Hey, while he's leaving the stage here, before I get started with a message... There's 2,400 verses in the Bible that speak to finances, and Adrian gave me 30 minutes to talk about this topic, okay? And I asked him about that, and he said, Ron, just do what I do. I practice my sermon in front of a a clock in my office, and I've never had a problem getting done on time. I gotta admit, I was a little confused by that until I saw the clock that he used, and I I was in his office this morning, and I I brought it. Uh, Maybe you can zoom in on that, but, but here's... Here's the clock that, that Adrian uses to time his sermons, okay, just so you know. And I'm probably going to be using that same clock today. So seriously, we, we need to just jump right into things here because there is a, a lot of uh, territory to cover. And we're going to start by looking at 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith 
and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now I want to point out this passage doesn't say those who are rich. It says those who want to get rich. So you don't have to raise your hand, but have any of you ever thought that if you were just a little more rich, your problems would be taken care of? So you see, this passage is not speaking about being rich. It's about wanting to be rich. You can be dirt poor and want to be rich, and you're still going to be tempted by the ways of this world. So we are all likely to fall under temptation in this area. Rich is a relative term, right? Nor does it say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. So money is simply a tool to be used, right? Just as you can use a hammer to build something good, you can also use a hammer to smash through a window. So money is not the problem. It's the way we use money that becomes a problem. Now, on your handouts every Sunday, there's a term, building a transformational community by growing in in love with Christ and all people. You may be aware that this comes from Matthew 22, where Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment of them all? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he goes on to say, the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus was saying is, if you get those two things right, everything else in your life is going to pretty much fall in line. Now, I know that's easier said than done, but it's absolutely true. So I'm going to suggest that all of our resources should be used for those two things, showing our love for God and showing our love to other people. So use your money for those two purposes. If you do that right, everything else about the way you use money is going to fall into place. So use this filter when you're making money decisions. How does this use of my money show my love for God and others? So I've heard it, I've heard it said this way. Use money and love people. Think about when we get that backwards. It creates all kinds of evils, as the Bible says, as this verse says, right? Think of human trafficking, pornography. Those are some very appalling things that happens when people are used and money is loved. But you know what? I think there's maybe some other ways that we love money that maybe aren't quite as appalling to us, but still cause problems. Think about when you're tempted to just fudge a little bit on your tax return by maybe not reporting some income that you got on the side. Or maybe that time you tried to sneak your youngster in at a younger age so you get a cheaper price for something. Think about it. Those are all ways that we love money. Why else would we do that? It's because we love money. And I don't think any of us are immune from getting caught up in the ways of this world when it comes to money. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
And so with that thought, I'm going to tell you a little, bit, a little story in a, in a minute about my hat, but before I do that, you need to know a couple things about me. And I think that if you asked my wife, Kathy, uh, she would probably tell you that I'm a fairly generous person. In fact, I've done the spiritual assessments that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, and I believe that I have the spiritual gift of generosity. Another thing that Kathy may tell you is that I might have a tendency to be a little overly competitive. Now, you know what? That's probably not how she'd word it because I've heard her on several occasions ask me, must you turn everything into a competition? (laughs) Okay. So I think competition's fun, right? I mean, imagine you're walking along a quiet lake with your wife. It's kind of boring until you have a contest of who can skip a rock the furthest, right? Okay, and who doesn't want to crush a five-year-old at a game of Candyland? So competition can be fun, right? So on to the story of the hat with those two things in mind. Now, last February, we, went, we were able to go on a very nice vacation and we went on a cruise. Never been on a cruise before. We went with some friends. And on one of the stops was Columbia. And I had left without a hat. They told us, you know, if you don't want to buy anything, just don't look at all the many street vendors that are going to be out there. Because if you make eye contact, they're going to come and try and sell you something. Well, I saw a guy selling a hat. It looked like this one, but it wasn't this hat. Because I tried it on and it was too little. It didn't fit. And I said, no, no, I don't want this hat. So anyway, long story short, he left. We walked on for probably 30 minutes, I'm guessing, had walked several blocks. He comes running up with a hat. This is the hat. He went to find me a hat that fit. And even if you don't think it's fashionable, it does fit, okay? <laughs> so, so he said, as soon as I put it on, it, he saw it fit. He said, $50. And I said, oh no, 15. And we haggled back and forth. He kept lowering the price. I just kept saying, oh no, 15, 15. Finally, he said, okay, $20. Now my wife, who had been very patiently watching this, (laughs) said, just give him the 20 bucks, okay? And you see, as I gave him the 20 bucks, I could see disappointment in his eyes. And I thought, I won. I won. You see, I was using money to keep score. And I'd like to tell you that I was convicted of this right away, but it was several weeks, actually months later. I was thinking about that interaction And I was convicted, not by my wife, she never said another word, but by God. Ron, how was that interaction honoring to God? Were you using your resources to show love to him, or were you just playing that competitive game? So I was was keeping score, and in hindsight, you know what? I could have still won the game and talked him down to 15 bucks if Kathy hadn't gotten in the way. (laughs) But 
And then, and then I could have won that game and said, hey, look, here's 100 bucks. Thanks for finding that hat for me. You know what? God loves you. Thank you for what you did. That would have been way better. As simple as that would have been, that would have been a way better way to show God's love than having him walking away thinking that stingy American jerk. Right? Now, I regret that I let my competitive spirit nullify my spiritual gift of generosity and an opportunity to show God's love. And Lord willing, if I'm in that position again, I'm gonna be in tune with the Holy Spirit instead of my competitive spirit. I'm thankful that we have a merciful and forgiving God. And I'm not making an excuse for this by any means, but you know what? I don't think I'm that much different than a lot of Americans. We all use money to keep score. You know what I'm talking about, right? So, uh, there's a, we have a chart, I believe, that shows you the American dream. This is how we keep score with our money, right? It looks something like this, maybe a little different for most of us or some of us, but we get out of debt, we have an emergency fund, we have savings, we, we, ha- we want to get a home ownership, we want to live a comfortable life and, and a secure retirement. If we've done those things, we have won the game, right? And then, you know what? If we're, if we're Christians and we've been taught about tithing, we do this same thing. We, we put a component on there of giving 10%, and then we do the rest of what we want to do to win the American dream game, right? I want to tell you that I think we are really missing out if we think that by giving 10% or if we're a super Christian giving 20 or 30% or whatever that number is, by giving that to God, that we have fulfilled our obligation to him. God wants way more than that for us. And again, notice I said the word for. It's not from us. This is what he wants for us. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. Uh, And I think it's wise to recognize God from our first fruits. Don't get me wrong on that at all. But we are really missing out on what God has in store for us, if that's what we think about. So I've come to believe that there are really three fundamental truths about money that we need to grasp and get in our hearts before we can even have a chance of showing our love for God by the use of our money and the, and, the, and the love for others. The first one is God owns it all. That's 100%, not just the 10% that we're designating. Psalm 24.1 states, The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, that verse is also repeated in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, 26. Another verse, 50, Psalm 50, 10, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. So know that everything we have is God's and we are simply stewards of what he has entrusted us with. So therefore, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Think about that. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. I've got to admit, 
if I had thought in those terms, my spending would probably look different than it has. Recently, I was drawn to an understanding of a passage that I'd read many times. It's Ephesians 4.28. And if you're, if you're following along in your Bible, I'm going to ask you, don't, don't look that up yet because we're going to put the first half of the verse up here. It speaks to this point. It says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, I want to tell you, that's not the part that I was confused about, okay? So don't worry. <laughs> it's this next part. But must work doing something useful with their own hands that they, and if you're like me, I would probably, if I was finishing that verse, I would probably say something like that they may take care of themselves and not be a burden on society, right? That's why we work. But that is not how this verse finishes. Let's put the rest of it up here. It says, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So this verse is saying that our primary reason for working to make a wage is so that we can share with those in need. It's not simply to provide for our own purposes. You see, God wants us to join him in a mission of generosity now, I know we need to look at the totality of scriptures. We can't just pick one verse out. And there are also verses that tell us to take care of our family's needs. There are verses that tell us to enjoy what God has given us. There are verses that tell us to save for the future. So we don't need to feel compelled to give everything away. In fact, if you think about it, if all Christians gave everything away, all the non-Christians would end up with everything, right? So I don't think that makes sense. But even so, I hope that you will contemplate this verse and struggle with me as, as I have over the last several months. Am I, are you willing to see the primary purpose that you earn a wage is so that you can be generous and willing to share? There are, as I mentioned, there's 2,400 verses in the Bible that talks about finances. And I think the reason for that is because God knows that we are skewed to spending stuff on ourselves. Remember the, the parable of the, of the rich fooler, excuse me, the rich fool in Luke 12. He said, I've won the game. I'm gonna kick back and build bigger barns and take life easy, right? Jesus said, you fool, this very night, your life will be required of you. He also said that that's how it will be for those who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. So, in essence, Jesus is saying you can do both. Use some for yourself while giving back to God. So again, remember, God owns it all. The second thing we need to know is that God alone is our provision. Let's look at Deuteronomy verses eight, or excuse me, eight verses seventeen and eighteen. You may say to yourself, "My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me," but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 1 Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I 
and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So we have what we have only because God has chosen to give it to us. And that brings me to kind of a side question. How much do we need to be content? You know what? It's spelled out pretty black and white in Hebrews 13.5. Let's look at that verse. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So what you have already is what you need to be content. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So exactly what you have now is what you need to be content. The third thing that we need to do is keep eternity in mind. Longer-term decisions, decisions made for the long-term, are always going to be better than short-term decisions. And you can't get any longer than eternity, right? So for those of you in the rooted study, your memory verse this week speaks to this. Let's look at it. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart, excuse me, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are many verses in the Bible that speak to this because we all know that this stuff of this world is temporary. It's going to be gone. Our provision is in God. And think about how freeing that is. We don't have to worry about what the economy is or what's going on in the world. God is going to take care of us. So I want you to dwell on these facts. God owns it all. God alone is our provision. And you should be content with what he's given you right now. And he expects us to use what he's given us to steward for eternal purposes. Now, I said I was going to come back to this, this section, and, and I want to talk about tithing a little bit. And I know that that's a lot of confusion about that, so that's why I wanted to, to spend some time on that. Quite frankly, I've had a lot of people ask me about that over the years. And so I'm going to take a few minutes just to, to tell you what I have come to understand about this, but I'm going to encourage you, do your own study on this, come to your own conclusions, see how God leads you in this area. Now, the tithe was Old Testament law. Everywhere it's mentioned in the Bible, it's known to represent 10%. And I know in your rooted book, for those of you that have read that lesson, it talks about tithing 5%. I personally don't think that's accurate. You can say I'm giving 5%, but a tithe, by definition, is 10%. And actually, there are three tithes in the Old Testament, okay? The first one was given to the Levitical priests. That would be the equivalent today of giving to church, where you're fed spiritually, right? And maybe some parachurch organizations. Another tithe was to have a festival celebration 
to remember and acknowledge God, what he had done for them. This was a big celebration where you could enjoy what God has given you at the same time acknowledging all these gifts are from God. And I think it was also designed to keep us from having a tendency to hoard because if we're, if we're using what we're using now to throw a big celebration, it means we're not gonna have it in the future. But God is our provision today and in the future. The th- and so we're gonna celebrate Thanksgiving with our families in a couple of weeks. Think about if you spent 10% of your, of your income on a Thanksgiving celebration. That would be quite a celebration, right? The third mention of a tithe in the Old Testament was actually collected every three years. And this was given to provide for poor aliens, orphans, and widows who couldn't provide for themselves. The equivalent would be our, for one example would be giving to our Grace Ministries Fund. I'm, I'm guessing that some of you don't even know that we have a special fund that's designated to help those in need in our church family and in our community. Uh, that would be one way to do this. The way we support compassion children is another way. And there's all kinds of organizations that support people in need. It also might be helping your neighbor down the street who's come into some, some tough times. So the question is, do we still fall under the Old Testament tithing rules? Well, let's see what the Bible says about that. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So if Jesus came to fulfill the law, I personally don't think we are commanded to tithe anymore. But before you go any further, let's look at Jesus' own words when he talks about this. In Luke eleven forty two. I think we have that on the screen here. Woe to you Pharisees. He was hammering the Pharisees here with a bunch of woe to you statements. And this says, woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So notice that word should here. It's not a command. If your doctor tells you that you should lose some weight, he's not commanding you to do that. He is saying it would be in your best interest if you would lose some weight. So this is not a command. Jesus is not commanding this, but he is saying, hey, it would be in your best interest to tithe. And you know what? If Jesus says I should do something, I'm going to do my best to follow that. Okay? So if simply for no other reason than Jesus suggested this. Now, I want to add at this point, we have a gracious God, and I believe that although he convicts us, he does not shame us. And if you're in a position right now where you really believe that you want to be generous, but giving 10% is just simply going to be impossible for you, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. First of all, examine your heart and make sure that's the case. Is it just because you don't want to give up something that you're not willing to tithe? 
And then secondly, pray that God will allow you to be generous and then see how he answers. You see, in Malachi 3.10, God tells us to test him in this and see if he will not pour out blessings when you're generous. But don't give if what you're feeling is guilt instead of conviction because in 2 Corinthians 9.7, it says, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Another version of this says, God takes delight in a cheerful giver. So isn't it uplifting that God takes delight in us when we're generous with what he's given us? And you know what? When I think about God taking delight in me when I'm generous, that helps me to be a cheerful giver, right? So you see, giving is not the object of what God wants for us. It's the result. Giving is a result of what God wants for us. It's a heart that's truly committed to him. We give out of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us. He gave his very life for us. When we realize fully the extent of God's provision and love for us, the result is a heart full of thankfulness to God, and we want to give back in God in some way to show our love and appreciation. Maybe it's a small but tangible way. And I want you, don't underestimate that tangible part of giving. I've heard people say, you know, I give in a lot of other ways, and they're really not that concerned about giving of their finances. And I think that's great. If you give in other ways, that's great. You should do that. But I'm going to tell you, the way that we use our money can be measured. And it's going to be in direct alignment with our values. Anyone can easily tell you your priorities just by looking at your spending register. In fact, I think this is probably the only area of our Christian walk that you can't fake because it is very tangible and measurable. Now, please, again, hear me. If you're in a rough spot financially, reach out to our church. We're eager to come alongside you. There are situations and times when someone in need is allowing others to be blessed by being a blessing to you. Okay, there are times for that. So we've already established that God owns it all, the cattle on a thousand hills. So I'm gonna let you in on a little secret here. God does not need your money, okay? And I'm gonna be really bold here and say, I'm not giving this message because this church needs your money. Obviously, it takes money to run a church, right? And if God, but I'm going to tell you, if God wants this church to be sustained, he will provide whether you give or not. If you have not read the book of Esther in the Bible, I'm going to tell you to do that. I'm not going to go through the Bible. It's a short book. You can read it on your own. But what I get out of that book is that when God puts me in a position that he, to do something that he wants done, I have two choices. I can either be obedient or not. 
God is still going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So by not being obedient, the only variable in this is that I'm going to miss out on blessings, right? So God's purposes are going to be taken care of. And if we are a generous people, he will bless us. And I'm not talking about the health and wealth gospel, okay? You're not necessarily going to be blessed financially. There are all kinds of blessings that we have in our lives. Our families, our relationships, a peace that God gives us. And you know what? Even if we don't see it on this side of heaven, there's gonna be rewards in heaven for those who are generous. We have that promise in the Bible. Think of being blessed for all of eternity because we've been faithful in this, in this life. So to close, I'm gonna have us look at a chart. This is from a book by John Cortines. I think I pronounced that right. It's True Riches, What Jesus Really Said About Money in Your Heart. He says maybe the question that we should be asking ourselves isn't what should I do with my money, but rather what is my money doing to me? So let's look at this chart. Let's get back to that chart if you would. (laughs) Uh, On the left-hand side, you can see it talks about financial stability from low to high. On the bottom, it's away from God or toward God. I'm gonna ask you to take some time this week, this afternoon, pray through this and be honest with yourself. Have this discussion with your spouse if you're married. Are you more concerned about your financial stability than you are with your spiritual walk and your direction of getting closer to God? So I'm gonna leave you with that thought and I'd like to pray for us as I end. So if you would bow your heads with me. Lord, I do thank you. We have a very generous church, family. Help us to grow in this area in response for our love for you. Help us to use money to love people. Help us to remember that you own it all and that you alone are our provision. Help us to realize that we are stewards of what you've given us. Help us to keep eternity in mind. Lord, would you grant us that? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.